Good day, and welcome to another episode of Discipleship Bible Study Group, or DBSG, as we know. And we are a show that looks at Christianity in the Bible through the perspective of technology, science, a little bit of astronomy sometimes, and just overall traditional analysis, um, seeking to find the best way and the answers of how to live as Christians today, according to God's word and according to the Bible. I'm one of your hosts, Brother Rob. Our other host is Brother Fred. Say hello, Brother Fred. Hello, 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 hello out there. And as always, we bring you a very interesting, dynamic, and topical show. Uh, last week, we explored four issues that we were seeing in the news. And continuing on the news theme, <clears throat> we're extending that analysis to another topic that has been at the forefront of the news this week. As we know, the Olympus has been a very, very fraught event from the COVID vaccinations, COVID exposure, athletes' performance, as well as people who have had various issues surrounding the Olympic Games taking place. And one of those issues that came up was among the athletes. One of the most famous athletes, that being Simone Biles, uh, brought the issue of mental health and sports and competition. Uh, that was something we saw before last month with tennis, and now we're seeing it with the gymnastics. And so we're taking a look to see what does the word in the Bible have to say about mental health and how do we as Christians deal with the issue of mental health? Uh, Brother Fred, why don't you expand on the topic that we're going to explore today? Uh, thank you, uh, Brother Rob, for a very interesting and amazing introduction. You always bring it the way you do it. Uh, mental illnesses is huge in our world. It's something that affects pretty much almost every household or every other household. Um, just some interesting stats that I pulled off of a mental health database. One in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. One in five. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. One in six U.S. youth age six to 17. Yes, I said six. Experience a mental health disorder each year. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. Yes, I said 10. Second leading cause of death is suicide among people aged 10 to 34. So before I go into some more stats, I'm going to read a scripture from Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's verse 6, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Interesting scripture. A very interesting <laughs> scripture. Very interesting scripture. Um, I have some more stats, but... Um, well, why don't we just throw a couple more out there, you know, as we get into our discussion. Okay. And I, I think stats are important because it gives our listeners a very strong viewpoint because one of the things that um, concerning Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka and others who've come out in the past expressing um, mental health concerns and issues is, in my opinion, the lack of support and ridicule they're given by people who don't truly understand what they're going through. And, you know, I, I don't personally believe we're looking at people who are believers of Christ Jesus, because if they were, they wouldn't be doing these things. But there are people who are obviously worldly. So their viewpoints are very scattered, uh, 
to say the least. I'm trying to keep a positive outlook on this, being a believer myself. Um, what are your thoughts on how everything is looking in the world today concerning mental illnesses and health, uh, Brother Rob? Well, I think it's good that the conversation is being had. I think sometimes we've seen situations where people needed help but didn't even express it. And as a result, you know, uh, negative things took place or detrimental things to that particular person or others also transpired. Um, you know, it's a very delicate balance. You know, yeah, I think each situation renders its own set of questions. You know, for example, with the athletes, you know, on the one hand, you know, Olympic athletes are admired because there's a story painted, a narrative that they're enduring, the endurance and the perseverance that they're facing during their training and ultimate competition is a characteristic that carries over into their personal lives. You know, you're able to endure hours and hours of grueling pain to perfect your performance. You know, does that give you a mental toughness that you also apply in life? And, you know, what we're seeing is very different in terms of what we're used to knowing about athletes or at least seeing with athletes and their success versus what we're seeing now with the mental health question. You know, when someone does say they need help or they're quitting because of mental health, you know, there is, I think, a knee-jerk reaction in our society as we're adjusting to a different way of thinking where our old way of thinking was mental health meant weakness. And that if you are an athlete, you didn't have mental illness. You didn't have mental illnesses where you were not able to perform. You know, if you were mental, if you were an athlete, you were supposed to be a person that was so disciplined and who we all should admire because you can push through these tough circumstances. You know, it's a, kind of a theme for life that we as a, as a society have promoted you know, in a way, because we want to believe that we can achieve that. You know, there's been a, narr a social narrative where, you know, people are supposed to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And part of that is having grit and having the, the fortitude to work through the daily struggles that we all see and we all pursue in our lives. Or not pursue, the, all, the, um, the daily struggles we encounter in our lives. So when we're usually talking about athletes, it's always in this narrative that they're so great because they're persevering through these very extreme circumstances. You know, that's why they're getting paid the big bucks to be in these sports commercials where they're dramatized as these Olympians who are pounding their bodies away to, you know, a standard of excellence that we'll never reach in, in our lives. So, it's, you know, it's a very conflicted, it's very, I think our, these might be what they used to call growing things, where, you know, are we, are we in this time in our society now where we're reanalyzing how we view what is perceived as weakness and what's perceived as strength? You know, is it now strong to say that I need help versus, you know, is it, is it weak to, to be in a position where you're not able to work past a struggle that you probably knew was coming. You know, uh, these Olympic athletes know they're competing in this competition. They, they know that this is what they're going to be doing. You know, Simone Biles has been here before. You know, she's been in these circumstances. This is not new to her. So, you know, this whole thing of this pressure of, you know, what's the pressure to feel great, you know, to be great, to be this highly paid celebrity that is able to reap millions of dollars off of this narrative of her strength and perseverance. Uh, often when you hear people talk about Simone Biles, especially when they, when you see these uh, news reports or you see these commercials, they're always going to these little girls and these little girls have bought into the narrative. They really love her. They admire her. They want to be her. And it's not even so much being her, but they want to be what is perceived as this athlete that works through these very harrowing situations and you know so now it's a very good it's a very good time to look and see you know where things will settle you know people are very encouraging of mental health but 
I think part of that too is we also realize, you know, with mental health that it is better for someone to say and be comfortable to say, I need help rather than stay silent and have breakdowns. Because, you know, we've seen in the Olympics in the past with athletes who weren't winning, where some have broken down, you know, in their competition, you know, that they just, uh, I think last last set of Olympics, there was a Canadian athlete that just like broke down right there on the on the track, you know, and, you know, they weren't really pro- highly profiled. There was no narrative about them because our perception of someone like that was that, oh, okay, she's weak. She's not a winner. Moving on. Let's go. Let's, where, where are the gold medals? Let's talk to those people. And so, you know, it's a very interesting time. You know, I think, um, you know, I'm, as I'm sitting back, I know I'm going through an adjustment of seeing what's considered strong and acceptable versus weak and quitting. Uh, because quitting something, especially in sports, is something new to me, you know, in terms of seeing it at the Olympics. You know, someone saying, hey, I'm quitting, but it's all right that I'm quitting because I have a good excuse. Um, you know, it kind of goes into a conflict with the narrative that we've, as an American society, have tried to paint for ourselves, which is that no matter what, you go through it. And especially if you're making millions off of that, you know, people can be cynical about you know, someone who is reaping the success of a certain narrative. So so it's a very interesting, um, you know, situation. And it's very interesting to see, you know, where do you approach this from a biblical standpoint? Well, one of the things I was looking at the last few days is uh, Katie Ledecky, world champion swimmer, just simply an amazing human being. If you look at her energy and her life, and they did a breakdown on her story when she was four to six years old. She just took off from her swim instructor and just started flying across the pool. And they knew that early they had something special in her. And right. they talked about how many thousands of meters she was swimming at the age of four, at the age of 10, at the age of 15. And currently, they said she's swimming so many meters that they mapped it out. She basically, if you put it into mileage, she basically mm-hmm. in training swam from the U.S. to the Olympics. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Where most of us came to swim a couple laps in, a, in our own backyard pool. Yeah. She swam yeah. all the way to the Olympics. Wow. And then still had to compete while she was there. So yeah. can you imagine the mental stress not even from social media, um, like, like you mentioned, you know, you have people who are paying for you to, to be in these competitions and you have society looking up to you, the youth, just the training alone. And when we had our pre-discussion right before we started our recording, you know, I made a reference that some of the training that some of these young people go through is pretty similar to special forces training. And I apologize to anybody listening that's in the special forces. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've talked to a few. I, I, I have some friends who are special forces. And, you know, they, they've talked to me in great detail about some of the training that they went through. And some of the Olympian, Olympiad, Olympic, what do you call them? Olympiads? Olympian. Yeah. <laughs> some of the training they went through is, is the mental stress and strain and the constant focus and the dieting and everything that you have to do. And on top of that, they had to go through COVID. So you were supposed to be in Tokyo last year doing what you're trained to do. So imagine 2019, training, 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 training. The beginning of 2020, we hear about this thing called COVID-19. And then all of a sudden, the whole world shuts down. And you started hearing then not only just Olympiads, but a whole slew of society of people who were having a lot of mental issues and stress and strain of not being able to go out and be themselves. You know, the, ha- the Maslow hierarchy of needs, the self-actualization, how are you getting that? I mean, are you getting it through social media? And I know social media is very big with the what, Generation Z or the millennials or whatever we're calling them these days, that, younger group but 
you know, they're also having interactions with each other physically as well. Not everything is over some sort of social media de uh, device. And all of a sudden they could no longer go to school. They no longer could go and have play dates. They could no longer go out. You know, families couldn't go on vacation. You couldn't go to a restaurant. The whole perspective for our country and the world changed. And that alone added its own um, pressure and stress to these Olympians. And I, I can only imagine what they were going through. So let me throw a few more stats at you, if I, if, if I may. Mm -hmm. uh, from the perspective of family, then community, then the world. And this is for the listener. Listener, you know, if you really want to know what's going on as far as mental diseases, mental illnesses, mental health with people, and I'm not going to break out the percentage of who's suffering from schizophrenia versus, you know, some other disorder. I'm, I'm just grouping them all together. And at least, uh, as far as family, at least 8.4 million people in the U.S. provide care to an adult with a mental or emotional health issue, 8.4 million. Caregivers of adults with mental or emotional health issues spend an average of 32 hours per week providing unpaid care. That's, a that's almost a full-time job. Yeah. That's almost a full-time job. That's huge. Uh, community. Mental illness and substance use disorders are involved in one out of every eight emergency department visits by a U.S. adult. And we're talking about estimated 12 million visits. Mood disorders are the most common cause of hospitalization for all people in the U.S. under age 45. Um, that's excluding hospitalization relating to pregnancy and birth. Across the U.S. economy, serious mental illness causes $193.2 in lost earnings every year. Mm. That's huge. 20.5% yeah. of people experiencing homelessness in the U.S. have a serious mental health condition. 37% of adults incarcerated in the state and federal prison system have a diagnosed mental illness, 70.4% of youth in juvenile justice system have a diagnosed mental illness, 41% of Veterans Health Administration patients have a diagnosed mental illness or substance use disorder. Now the world, depression and anxiety disorders cost the global economy one trillion in lost productivity each year. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. That's huge. And, you know, what's so interesting, and I'm, I'm sure you agree with me on this, Brother Rob, I, I don't know if any human on this planet, if you live long enough, then you're not going to suffer from some bout of depression. Depression happens to everybody. Nobody's on, on your, at the top of your game all the time. No one is. And I think it comes with being human. It comes with living in this world. It comes with being tormented by Satan and his minion. So we can actually go out and say the origin of mental health probably goes all the way back uh, to the fall of Adam and Eve. And I have a, I found a scripture that kind of eludes uh, to that. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So man being formed from the dust of the ground is fallible. I mean, we're just not perfect. Even Adam, before his great sin, was not perfect. He was not perfect. He wasn't in his um, permanent body that he would have, that he has now in heaven. He wasn't. So when you look at his children, Cain uh, slew and Abel, obviously, you know, it takes something mental to kill your own brother. 
I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, we're seeing it so commonplace today that it is, it's almost, we are, we, we've gotten very desensitized to it. And one of the problems I have, Brother Rob, is treating these Olympic athletes like Marvel comic superheroes, right? Yeah. When, you, when you watch those Marvel movies, I find it to be kind of interesting. My favorite character is Captain America. Okay, this is a guy, the oldest Avenger, um, first Avenger. He's the oldest Avenger by chronological age. And can you imagine being born and raised and living in the 40s? And then all of a sudden you get thrown into ice and you don't get waking up again until, <laughs> you know, year 2000 or whatever. And everything around you has changed, including the love of your life not being there. But no one goes into the mental health issue of cap even though i think they painted a good job during every movie that he and the other characters were in to show their anguish of being a superhero and having the whole world lean on them to save them i think they did a, an amazing job doing that especially in the last Avengers when Tony Stark died. I know I cried at the theater. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, it's, I think they really brought it home. The good guy doesn't always win. You know, we expect it in movies. I think they do a good job of quote unquote, making sure the good guy does win in the movie. But in reality, these men and women, while being super athletes are not super humans. They really well, are. Well, those things that they're, they're portrayed like that. You know, when you see the previews of their backstory, it's always, you can almost write it for any athlete, you know. This athlete started out doing this and they were, <clears throat> they were, you know, doing well. And then some adversity came and they were past it. And now they're, and usually adversity is like an injury, you know, or, or something like that. And then, you know, it's, and it's, it's the same narrative and it's a good narrative per se, it's an inspiring one because, you know, a lot of people actually build their lives thinking that these athletes just work through whatever pain they're, work, they're going through and move on. And, you know, these, if you notice, these stories never include, oh, I went to a therapist to talk with someone about how I was feeling about the stress of my training, you know. You never hear the discussion about, um, you know, I was feeling so broken down, I quit for six months and then got back up, you know, or, you know, or even if they, if they do hint at the diversity, it's always a simple solution. And, and this is more of a, me, a media thing where it's always, you know, I read an inspiring quote, someone said something inspiring to me, you know, you don't really hear too much, even of someone saying I went to church and was inspired or, you know, I read the Bible when there was a Bible verse that inspired me, you know, you don't hear any of that. It's always, you know, the person did it on their own and with their own strength and righted their ship. Even with Michael Phelps, you know, he's, uh, all he does is commercials now about therapy. But if you look at all the media buildup to his uh, eight medals that he won or whatever, whatever the total, I know it was minimum eight. I, I thought it might even be nine or 10, but um, if you look at the media in that, in the buildup to his, uh, the Olympics where he won all those medals, you didn't hear one thing about him going to therapy or struggling with, with, you know, mental health at all. And so it was kind of interesting to see, you know, where does, where this narrative is shifting now, you know, and, and, and it's kind of, but you're still seeing the struggle with the shift because like I was mentioning before with Simone, we're hearing that she's having mental health issues, but we're not really even hearing that, did, you know, did she seek a therapist before she made the decision to quit? you know, did she just quit and she's now just sitting on the sidelines? Um, did she quit and she's seeing a therapist while she's, you know, sitting on the sidelines? Or did she just determine for herself that, hey, this is so stressful, I'm going to call it a mental health crisis and, you know, sit back and and not compete? You know, and it's... You know, there's just a lot of unanswered questions, but I think this is where, the, you know, the conflict comes between the narrative and reality. You know, it's just the story that the media has been telling. It's just unraveling now. You know, and what is true strength? You know, what is true 
great, what is fortitude now? You know, are we lowering the bar for what is fortitude or, you know, perseverance? You know, or are we changing the definition of it? You know, there's just so many questions that come into mind. And but part of it, too, is that, you know, these these things are not addressed in the narratives that we're hearing, even to right now, today. So, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Well, what one of these stigmas that's attached to um, going to see a professional for mental health issues in almost any career? Um, I mean, I was in the military for 20 years and. Um, there, there was a lot of soldiers and airmen and seamen from the Navy and, and, you know, Marines returning home that, wow, what, what these men and women went through, what they saw, what they lived and ate and breathed and I, it, it, it dis destroys the soul. It's just amazing that, um, they were able to even keep it intact while you're there. You don't have any choice. You sink or swim. Well, what's days. the what's the narrative? Did, you know, did you as a military person see a certain narrative always encouraged or told of the model soldiers who were held up as examples and role models for you? Well, for a long time, and I'm not, I don't know exactly the year. I'm, I'm not going to give mm -hmm. the year because um, I don't want to paint a picture that, uh, you know, the wrong way. But there's always, you know, there's this mindset that, you know, you're defending your country and you will go out there and get the job done, period. Mm -hmm. Because here, here's the thing. If a pilot, if, if a fighter pilot all of a sudden says, I, I can't, I can't do this. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm having some issues with my wife and, you know, I'm not feeling too strong right now. You know, yeah, they'll say go and seek help. But at the same time, they're questioning whether he should be flying or not. They may take his plane away from him. He may yeah. not ever fly again. So there's, right. you know, there's this narrative that sort of is sort of unspoken that okay, you can seek help, but um, you know, there you go. Is that person? Not gonna gonna for you. Yeah. yeah, is that person going to be become a general one day? If that was one of his aspirations, was to climb to the top of the food chain. It, it, Probably not, because you always have that stigma attached to you now that something wasn't right with you. And I, I think you see it throughout society. We see it in our athletes. We see it, you know, we expect the police to run around and be half monk, half hitman, right? They're there to defend you when you need them to. Somebody's breaking into your home. Oh, show up and take a bullet for me. But it's okay, like what happened here in the streets here in New, in New York, where you could call them names and talk all this trash to them and expect them to just smile and go, okay, take it easy, just be cool, have a good day. That's not how, how this works. You wouldn't like it if somebody did that to you. You know, they're human. They have a great responsibility. They take great pride in doing it. And I'm not, listener, I'm not talking about those police officers who took that oath and they've turned it into something personal where they're using their power and position to further their own little whatever that they're trying to push out there, the hatred and hurt people and things like that. I'm not talking about those type of people. I'm talking about the ones who put on the, on the badge every day. It stands for something. They're out there putting their life on the line every day for all of us. And, you know, they're not asking for our thanks. They're getting paid. Most of them finally paid well. They have good pensions, but the mental stress and strain of going through that every day, the mental stress and strain of being a firefighter, the mental stress and strain of being a super athlete, being special forces in the military or just being in the military period is very, very difficult. And I'm not trying to minimize what anybody else may be going through with mental health. I'm sure it's stressful for surgeons. I'm sure we all, uh, one of the top jobs most stressful jobs in America that a lot of people don't hear about is air traffic controller. You're controlling thousands, tens of thousands of lives every day. Tens of thousands. A surgeon may only do two or three surgeries a day, a heart surgeon. You're controlling thousands of lives every day. And all you're looking at is a little blip on the screen. So you better have your, your act together and better be paying attention. They said that's one of the top three to five stressful jobs in America. So it's, it's pretty interesting.
it's interesting to see too, you know, where does, you know, where does the discussion about the Bible come into all of this talk about mental health? You know, uh, there's aspects of, of the Christian community where, you know, if you have faith in God, you're supposed to bring your problems to him, you know, and, and, and you have to ask that question when you're looking at these athletes, you know, they, some profess to have faith. So, you know, how does that practice of faith factor into being, to dealing with the stress of their athletic careers and athletic training and all that? And, you know, it's a very interesting question. You know, I think that, um, you know, especially for those, I think, who believe in Christ and who are, you know, who believe in the Bible and everything that it says that, you know, some that you, you have in the back of your head a sort of reassurance that regardless of what you're going through, everything's going to turn out all right because you believe based on your faith that you're practicing the act of giving your problems over to the person, to the entity that created us and that you have faith that they'll make it all right. So you, you don't necessarily kick back, you know, but sometimes that's the way of saying, of relieving this overwhelming sense of stress that you may be feeling. And, you know, I, I'm interested in hearing more about that in a lot of these public discussions that we're seeing about mental health. You know, where, where does faith come into the picture? And, you know, what role is that playing? Well, I, here's, uh, I, there's more. I looked up uh, a handful of Bible figures. And if you read the Bible, you know who these people are. And I took the ones that, are, that were most popular, that even someone that is not a believer may have heard about when they were a child or throughout their life. So King David, Dawu, David who slew Goliath. Can you imagine? I mean, David being king, being a king alone was stressful enough. But, oh. but look at David as a child. All right. You got Goliath. And based on the estimates, Goliath stood more than 30 feet. He was 30 to 40 feet tall. I mean, this, we're not talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was like seven foot, seven one. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, seven, three, seven, four. You're talking about a 30 foot giant who's wearing armor, who's carrying a big giant sword <laughs> that terrorized a whole nation. That side of the globe, he terrorized, right? right. So I like, you know, there was a children's story that, that my son was listening to that sort of put things into perspective as far as David slew and Goliath, how he was ridiculed <laughs> by the soldiers at the camp he was at because they were like, he can't even wear armor. Look at him, the armor. Because once they put all the armor on him and gave David a sword, he couldn't even lift it. He couldn't even stand up. So they were ridiculing him. They were like, this boy's going to go out and fight this, this giant. And the Amorites or whoever Goliath was affiliated with, they were laughing too because they were like, you know, you know, you sent your best soldiers and we wiped them out. Now you're going to send this little kid, right? And can you imagine the stress that David was under? But he showed his faith. He showed his color, his true colors. He ignored those people who were chastising him and teasing him. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing right. that today, wasn't it? Didn't we just have a president recently that, that characterized or said that people who had mental issues were, what was the terminology he used? morons i believe that's what he said yeah something along those lines yeah and i know it's people who say oh you know he was great guy because he spoke his mind while other politicians may feel that way but they hide behind this rhetoric of caring i get that okay but to me there's certain things that you say to yourself and you keep to yourself to me that was one of them i don't want my president of the united states going around calling people who are mentally ill morons what you don't have anybody in your family so it's okay to talk to someone else that way that's not nice i mean these people are suffering greatly just like king david david was suffering greatly but he was ridiculed and then went out there and did the impossible everybody know knew what he did and i'm sure at that point all those soldiers who were ridiculing them were standing there with their mouths open like 
I can't believe this child just did that with. I think too, the interesting thing about Donald Trump is that he actually had, you know, his brother dealt with mental health, you know, his the brother that struggled with the substance abuse and was, he was an alcoholic. Uh, his older brother, whom his father, you know, kind of looked down on. And I think with Donald Trump, you know, that was kind of where that, you know, that's where he got that type of mentality from. You know, his own, his own, seeing his own brother and the way his father responded to his own brother's mental health struggle, you know, which was expressed through the substance abuse or the alcoholism, you know, was, you know, something that was characteristic of, I think, what many Americans are still, still feel to that. You know, you see, like we were discussing earlier, the comments made about Simone Biles when she uh, decided to withdraw from competition and where you had a conservative radio host saying that we're raising a generation of weak athletes. And if you notice, he he's putting emphasis on the phrase weak, you know, in the sense that our athletes are not supposed to be weak or have weak moments. So it's very interesting to see into what you were talking about with Donald Trump and you know, his comments about, you know, people with mental health. But um, continue though with the, uh, with. And uh, listener, you know, I want you to understand something about Brother Rob and I. We're not <coughs> Trump supporters. We're not Trump haters. But what we are, we are believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would Jesus have called people with mental health deficiencies morons? No, he didn't. What he did do, is he healed them. He felt bad for them. He felt for them. He felt their pain. He felt their anguish and he healed them. He spent, he spent more time healing people than he did preaching his words. And it's just amazing how, you know, if you go back and look at everything he did, he spent more time administering to people than speaking his gospel, which he made it so simple and plain and loving people with deficiencies is something he made simple and plain. Next right. on the list is uh, Elijah. And a lot of people don't know much about Elijah, especially as far as having depression or mental health issues. But Elijah did something that was interesting. He took, um, he was very concerned about the um, false religions and how it would affect uh, the Israelites. So he basically went out and it says in first Kings, I believe 1840, where Elijah said to them, he seized the prophets of Baal, let no, not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook at uh, Kishon and slaughtered them there. Right. That was, I mean, his attention was, <laughs> I'm doing a good thing for God to turn back, you know, our people from worshiping, worshiping these false gods. And he thought it would work, but King Ahab and the nation of Israel, instead of uh, turning back and, and worshiping God and following him, they went the other way. And King Ahab refused to return. So that caused Elijah to flee because he wasn't afraid of being killed. He wasn't. He wasn't afraid of being killed, but he lost heart and faith in his own belief. Because his belief was not what God wanted him to do. And we're going to talk more about man's belief and what God believes and wants us to do with our lives as far as mental health issues. Next on the list, Moses. We all know Moses. Moses had probably one of the most difficult jobs in the history of um, leaders of Israel. Yeah, because... <laughs> Yeah. This is a man who grew up amongst the uh, Egyptians and they accepted him as being one of them and then had to turn later and lead about, and I, I've heard different estimates, but the figures average around a million. Now, if you lead a thousand people out, that's one thing, but can you imagine leading a million people out of bondage a million not all of them were young soldiers 20 years old strong legs and arms that could walk 50 miles a day to, to run away from these egyptians who were in hot pursuit they were young people old people mothers with babies they were all different demographics of life 
So the, the travel was slow, arduous, difficult. The, what he went through was just simply amazing. And then he had doubt in God. It, it was, <laughs> you know, at some point, at one point, Moses cried out in hopelessness and despair and just, just threw his hands up and just said, I can't do this. But he got around it once again by relying on the creator of our universe, which is God himself, to push him through his tough moments. So he was human. He was as human as King David. He was as human as a Simone Biles. Okay. Next on the list was list is Job. Job, Job, Job. And this is one where a lot of people know about his story. They didn't know about Moses' helplessness. All they know about is the great stories of Moses. But Job became depressed and suffered many personal losses, right? First, all his material possessions, then all his children were stricken, and then he was devastated by his own physical affliction. And then he broke out into painful boils. The Bible says, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, why did I not die at birth? <laughs> why, why, do you, why, Lord, did you let me come from the womb to experience this? I'd have, I'd have been better to die at birth. I mean, this is a man who was pushed to his limits um, because God wanted to prove to Satan that my love is endless. My mercy endureth forever. And because Job is mine, no matter how hard you push him, he'll never, ever totally lose faith in me. And Job recovered, and he went on to fulfill his mission in life the way God wanted him to do it. None of us are perfect. We all fall short of the glory. The Bible says that none of us, from Adam and Eve, and what's so interesting about Adam is this. You know, a lot of people don't know this about Adam, that um, Genesis 3.22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Because when he found, he ate from the tree of knowledge and knew certain things that God did not want him to know, if he would have ate from the tree of, good, of, of, uh, of life, he it would have totally changed history forever. And that wasn't, you know, God already had a plan and an effect from the, from the moment he made, made the whole universe as to what he was going to do. It wasn't like he made Adam and then he saw the problems Adam had, Adam and he had, and then he said, oh, you know what? I need to come up with a plan to fix mankind because we're going to have some issues with them. God already had his plan in place when he made the universe. When he first thought of the universe, when he said, let there be light, he already had a plan in effect all the way throughout the history of mankind on every situation of what he was going to do. So next on my list is Jonah. Actually, he's the last one on the list, Jonah. And Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites, but he felt that they were <laughs> vastly evil and he decided not to do it. And he rebelled against God and wind up in the, in the belly of a whale. And everybody knows that. And we, we talked about this before, yeah. <laughs> Brother Rob. Can you imagine sitting in the belly of a whale? He couldn't have thought after he was swallowed whole by this giant fish that he was ever going to see daylight again. There is no way he was sitting in the belly of a whale, you know, playing pinochle or, you know, just singing happy songs and bebopping along like it was no big deal. I'm going to go on the limb and say he was frightened beyond belief. All right. What he did do, he pulled himself together. He leaned on God for his safety and didn't worry about anything else. You, you have to get to the point, listener, 
where you exercise that mustard seed of faith and lean totally on God and don't worry about the outcome. That's God's business is to take care of the outcome. You know, if, if he is taking care of a flock of birds, fed them, provided for their mental well-being by feeding them and taking care of their needs, what do you think he's going to do for you, his most beloved? He's not going to leave you hanging, right? Right. So we, we need to stop looking at the world to solve our mental health issues. Is it okay to be under the care of a doctor? Absolutely. Is it okay to be on meds? Absolutely. And I got an interesting stat about meds I'm going to read in a little bit. Uh, mental health issues, there's not a um, single cause of things that cause mental health issues in our country and in this world. Uh, I wrote down a few factors uh, and risk factors and triggers. Uh, genetics, mental illnesses often runs, run in families genetically, and I know it runs in mine because my mother had uh, a mental health issue and some other members of my family do too. So genetically, I know we have some mental health issues in our family and it's been very prevalent. What has added to that is next on the list, the environment. Living in a stressful environment can make you more likely to develop a mental illness. Things like living in poverty, or having an abusive family can put a lot of stress on your brain and often trigger mental illnesses. I wrote something down and I highlighted it. Social media, a major culprit. What do you think about that, Brother Rob? Is social media a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, it's really both. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's a mm -hmm. lot to place on social media. You know, uh, it being the cause of people's mental <clears throat> mental health, you know, it's um. But again, it's another conversation that's taking place in our in our society how we're looking at things differently. Um, mm. You know, someone such as myself, who's a little bit more old-fashioned, would say social media is really the the cause of your problems. Turn it off. You know, it's uh, we once lived lives where we weren't checking to see what someone else said about what happened in in the news today online. You know, and so. You know, I do get that the world communicates more through social media collectively. That is how we get our news. Is how our opinions are shaped based off based off of the information that we receive from social media. Uh, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you have to weigh. You know, how much are you dependent on social media in your life to the point that it's becoming a cause of mental stress? And you know that for me is a challenge. You know, I feel that's also part of the discussion too. You know, at the end of the day, if I'm a public person who's under public scrutiny, you know, how much do, how much blame can you put on social media on situations that you place yourself in? You know, oftentimes the things that we're commenting on in social media are about people who have placed themselves in those pedestals. You know, they were, if you go back to the athletes, or if you're going back to, you know, celebrities, um, you know, there are lines that where things are crossed, but, you know, it's an ongoing debate. For example, you know, recently there's been a pushback about people encouraging other people to commit suicide. And you kind of look and say, okay, is someone else really responsible for you being in a mental state where you want to kill yourself? You know, someone who is just commenting or giving you, you know, hate or feedback you know on online and to what degree are we really giving that you know credible weight in our own personal lives you know if prior to social media someone said to me go kill yourself Rob does that mean I'm really going to th that that they have enough influence on me to convince myself to then kill myself because someone else said to do it at the mere suggestion of it it's kind of like the old saying where, you know, you see here our mom say, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you too? Wouldn't, you know, would you too? You know, and it's kind of, so it's that, you know, that delicate balance. You know, you kind of see where social media can sometimes be a gathering place for, for groups of people to bully people. But, you know, at the same time, we have to look and say, you know, how much of it, how much of mental health and combating it is on us versus us simply responding to what's happening in society. 
you know, and, that, and that's the question that, you know, I raise, you know, when I see these issues, you know, when, when I do see that people are pushing back on people for encouraging other people to commit suicide. Yes, that is a, a very bad thing to do, but is it someone else's, is it someone else's influence and responsibility that someone else killed themselves? You know, and, and someone who is just making a comment on a social media platform versus, let's say you're in a situation where you're being abused, traumatized, and someone's influences you to kill yourself because they're in, inflicting direct trauma and pain on you. That's a very different circumstance. So um, it's a very big question. You know, and, and that's kind of with social media, you know, I'm of two thoughts about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, especially for someone who grew up in an era where there wasn't social media, you know, I see a stark difference between the responsibility that you can place on a person based on what they do online. But, you know, that, that's just me and one, one opinion. <laughs> Well, there's a website called Our World in Data, and this is where I put right. a lot of my data from. And um, what's, what's interesting is I was listening to these evangelists last night, and they were talking about us being in the last days. And you could tell because we're in a technological boom. In the 19, I think in 1950, they mentioned every five years, um, the information would double. And right. by mm -hmm. the 90s, it got into like um, every one year it would double or months it would double. Now they say where we're at now, it's almost doubling by day. And <laughs> oh, it's, it, it's too much information. And yeah. ethics is always behind technology. It's always lagging behind technology. We have all this information, these supercomputers, quantum computers. They're talking about creating AI that's going to be doing a lot of these menial tasks, jobs we're doing every day. AI, they say, maybe leading. Someone wrote a book about AI possibly leading the world one day. And these evangelists made a very good reference saying that that's going to be part of the mark of the beast. Because this technology may look at someone that has a mental deficiency over time and say, you know what, you're the, you're the reason why humans are having issues. So people who have these sort of mental deficiencies need to be eradicated. They need to be removed. And art imitates life because we've seen it in many, many movies where that actually did take place. From the 70s when they were making sci-fi movies all the way up until what we have today, you see the same sort of things happening where the weaker uh, members of our society are basically pushed down into the mud. In 1971, Moore's Law. Moore's Law say that transistors per microprocessor. It's the number of transistors which fit into a microprocessor. In 1971, we had about five to 7,000. Um, in 2017, we had 10 billion transistors wow. that fit into a microprocessor that tells you right there how technology has blown wide open and i feel that information that data is putting such a stress on the weaker members of our society because for me for instance i'm 55 Social media, I use it to reach out to some of my military buddies I haven't seen in a long time because I can't talk to them every day. And I say, hello, we got a discipleship Bible study group out there on one of the social media accounts. We record our stuff here. We put it out over eight or nine different platforms. But when I'm ready to spend time with my family, I don't have a problem at all turning all this stuff off and I go spend time with my family. But yet... I was in New York City, and I had to save a millennial from walking off the curb because she was so busy staring at her iPhone, she didn't see that there was a car speeding towards her because the light had changed, and she didn't notice. And I grabbed her by her arm and pulled her back because she would have gotten mowed over right in front of me, and it probably would have killed her. And she just she, she looked at her arm. She looked at me like, Why'd you touch me? And I excused myself. Well, I said, excuse me. I didn't mean to put my hands on you, but this car was coming and it probably would have hit you. 
And she gave me that indifference look like, and I'm like, wow, it just blew me away that she was upset that I interrupted her moment on her little, you know, what I always tell people when you're you're looking at these products, your head is bowed, bowed. So who are you praying to? Which God are you praying to? Right? Right. Because we already know as believers in Christ that Satan is going to definitely use this in his campaign during the tribulation period to keep a lot of people down and under control. But moving on with the list, childhood trauma. Even if you're no longer in a stressful environment, things that happened to you when you was a child will always impact you, always impact you later in life. Because if you don't get the healing and the treatment, you'll always have that, that you know, they call it that stumbling block, that ball and chain that you're carrying with you throughout your whole life. Um, stressful events like losing a loved one or an accident, being in a car accident, losing a leg, losing a loved one. Those things all cause a lot of mental stress. Negative thoughts. Constantly putting yourself down or expecting the worst can get you stuck in a cycle of depression or anxiety. Unhealthy habits. This is what I'm guilty of, like not getting enough sleep or not eating. I don't get enough sleep. I sleep four to five hours a night. Not good. Drugs and alcohol. Abusing drugs and alcohol can trigger a mental illness. It can also make it harder to recover from mental illness. And what's one of the biggest drugs that's been approved for use in America today, Brother Rob? And I can't stand it. Oh, <laughs> uh, What's that, the ambient? Marijuana. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Marijuana. I'm sorry, there's so many. There's so many now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it's a long list, and I'm going to get to um, a, a statistic about meds. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the last one is this: is brain chemistry. Mental illness involves an imbalance of natural chemicals in your brain and in your body. And a lot of people who have bipolar disorders, schizophrenia, and other disorders, depression have chemical imbalances. It's, it's not of any fault of their own. A lot of these other things may not have happened to them, but just the simple fact alone that they had, have a chemical imbalance in their neurons and brain is not firing off the way it's supposed to can be deafening for them. I, I've heard there are people with bipolar disorders that have a hard time even getting out of the bed. Can you imagine every morning you go to get out of the bed and it's like, oh my gosh, I got to go out and face this world again. I get it. The world has gone bonkers. I understand exactly how you feel. So God be with anyone that has any mental illness or disorder. Um, I have a couple scriptures to read off um, before we wrap things up. Trust and believe totally in God for your mental and physical healing. And it's two scriptures that bring it home with that. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we know we're talking about Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the second one is Mark 1, 34. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So lean on the never-changing, steady, accurate hand of Jesus. Jesus is the true and best psychologist. Jesus understands the human soul or psyche, first, as our co-creator with God, the Father, second, as the incarnate Son of God who experienced being a man and living on this earth, third, as the Redeemer who never sinned and conquered sin and death and Satan by rising from the dead, and fourth, as the ever-living and present Spirit of Christ that's with us now today. Christ is our best therapist. He's wise, he's caring, and he's more helpful than any therapist, doctor, medication you could take, or anything. And speaking of meds, one in six Americans take a psychotic drug. One out of six take some sort of psychotic drug to 
treat some sort of mental illness. So I, I would say take, you know, two doses of Jesus, pray on it, <laughs> and let him heal you in the morning. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that is okay. it. Any closing comments you want to make, Brother Rob? Uh, you know, as always, it's always an interesting discussion, you know, looking at mental health, and it's something that you don't see discussed enough. But I think part of it, too, is that everybody's learning, you know, that it's not something we really see in church or hear in church because, you know, oftentimes I think the pastors and preachers really don't know how to address it, you know, in a way, you know, there might be the standard underlying assumption that people really lean on God for the stressful situations that come across in life. And so that's where prayer, you know, comes into play. Um, having faith comes into play. Um, and I know, you know, some people have, you know, their own ways of coping with things. Um, for me, I'm a big person of faith. So for me, I'm always, even in stressful situations, I'm always saying, okay, well, you know what? I know whatever this is, it's going to, we're going to get through it because at the end of the day, and all the other times I felt that I might be overwhelmed or stressed, you know, I had faith and Thing, and those things did work out, you know. So I think it's, you know, you know, up to believers to really look and see how they can use their faith as a steady and constant reminder that in the end, whatever they're going through, it's, it's, you're going to get through it. You can get through it, you know, but you have to rely on that faith, you know, and, and really rely on it. And, you know, I think, like you said, with, the, you know, faith, having a mustard seed of faith is very true. You know, faith is an infinite well, you know, that you can draw from. So, you know, life can be tough, but, you know, as everybody says, you know, God is over everything. So it's not something, you know, as long as you're aligned with him, then whatever problems you're face, facing, your faith can usually steady you and, you know, guide you through those tough times. And I guess the, the bigger thing is always look at, the times that you've had stressful times and you know were there any times that you relied on your faith to get you through that and usually the answer is yes that you know someone at least think of sometimes that you know they've had tough times where that they prayed on it or you know that they really went to their faith and you know keeping that hope alive that it was going to get better and and it did you know and i think and in closing, you know, a lot of what I discussed today was what are the narratives that we're hearing about people when we're hearing about a public discussion of mental health. And part of that narrative has to be what role is faith playing in the way that people are coping with their mental health and mental issues. You know, I would like to see more of that. I think that would be interesting to see if you're seeing, you know, athletes really relying on their faith, even though that, that part of the story is not being told. So, um, as always, um, this mental health discussion has always been very interesting. And, you know, uh, do you have any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up our episode? Just one. And, and mm -hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head. You have to exercise your faith. And when you exercise your faith, it allows the great redeemer, the adjudicator, the Holy Ghost, which is God himself inside of you to help you through any problem. It doesn't matter what it is. And we've heard some amazing stories over the years, miracles, miracles of God moving in the spirit. Because we're not fighting principalities of, of flesh. We're fighting things in the spirit. And when you're moving in the spirit in concert with what God wants for you and your life, listener, there is nothing, nothing of him that he wants of you that you cannot do. It doesn't matter what it is. So lean on God, have that faith, cry out to him, whatever it takes, get on your knees, talk to him, and he will answer. He will, re he will bring you through your issue. He will. He will heal you. Someone told me recently that, that you know, someone I know that has mental issues that God can't heal me. And I said, why can't he? He's the, he's the author of the whole universe surely and you were creating his image so surely he can heal one body but you gotta like you said you gotta step out on faith amen with that do you want to close this out with a prayer sure would sure would
Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you once again for allowing us to uh, be your mouthpiece, Father God. You don't need anyone to speak on your behalf, dear Lord. So we don't take uh, this appointment uh, lightly, Father God. We thank you for all that you do for us in the midst of all the chaos and the craziness that Satan is trying to push, dear Lord. We know as believers, you are still in charge. You have never lost a battle. You have never lost an inch. You, have, you will always succeed. You are perfect. Your design and plan is flawless for us. And we can't wait to see your son, Jesus, standing in, his, in our presence once again, Father God. But in the meantime, yes, dear Lord, you told us, Jesus told us himself when he was here, we're going to have to put the wrench time in. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to have to do the work. Satan is, is loose in this world. And he's trying to destroy every ounce of what you stand for and you, period, Father God, and all of us, your creation. But he will not succeed because we have faith and believe in you, dear Lord, that no matter what happens, you're going to get us through. So we pray that every, anyone on this planet that's having mental health issues, we pray that you continue to um, speak to them, Father God, and console them and send someone to them that can uh, give them the help that they need, that can minister to them, Father God. So we ask all these wonderful things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. Amen. And that's our latest episode of Discipleship Bible Study Group. Uh, again, this is Brother Rob with Brother Fred. And uh, have a nice evening. And before you go, listener, Please uh, check out our social media uh, pages. We're on Facebook at Discipleship Bible Study Group. Uh, please uh, leave a me message or a comment that extends and continues the conversation that we had today. Um, you know, what do you think about mental health and, you know, what our lives as Christians uh, mean when we're looking at mental health as something that we have to cope with? Um, you can also check us out and download the podcast from wherever you download your podcast, iPad, of the iPhone, uh, Google Play, uh, Apple I, Store. I Heart, yeah, iHeartRadio, links so, on Facebook. Yeah. Yep, uh, so wherever your favorite spot is, Twitter. You podcast. And, uh, and finally, um, thank you for joining us, and we will be back next week with another great episode. Have a nice evening, listener. God bless you all.